Well, hello, Elevate. How are you all doing today? I'm so glad you guys came out today in this uh, very, very stormy weather, um, and it is awesome to be here. Um, before I get into the uh, message, Drew wanted me to at tell you guys the QR code for giving will be up on the screen right now. There it is. If you, if you miss a chance to give, um, please, please do that. Uh, that, that's a QR code and, and everything. For those of you all that, that missed the intro, that were, that were a little bit late, um, I am not Rob Harlemert. My name is Dave Kibler. I'm the senior pastor of Catalyst Christian Church. And 14 years ago, I was not here, but I was basically here. Catalyst started at East Jessamine High School, and we had a setup a lot like this, except for this is a lot nicer than what we had. Um, and this right here, Elevate Christian Church, is a dream come true for me. This right here is what the Lord has basically told me to do for the next 20 years or however long the Lord gives me in ministry. I have no desire to build Catalyst to be some big mega church. I can't do it. It's not in our DNA. It's not God's purpose for us. What we are supposed to do is be a church planting force in central Kentucky. And Elevate will just be the first of hopefully many. And so what you are doing right now, I cannot tell you how New Testament, how awesome, how incredibly God-breathed what you are doing right now is part of a brand new work. It just gets my heart beating fast. This is, where, this is what I love right here. I don't know if I can communicate. I don't know if I've communicated that very well, okay? Um, but this right here, what you guys are doing is so exciting to me, so near and dear to my heart. I'm so glad to be here. Rob is over at Catalyst today preaching there, and as my elders informed me, Catalyst got the better end of that deal. Um, I, I apologize, you guys got the JV, they're getting the varsity, um, but uh, I'm very excited to be here. Rob said you guys are in a series on, on, on biblical, uh, on godly relationships, and he gave me the topic, biblical marriage, and that's something that I'm very passionate about. Uh, ever since Rob asked me to preach on this topic, I've been thinking long and hard about this. I've been married 25 years, just had my silver anniversary last year, coming up on 26 years this year. My children range from newly married, I walked my daughter down the aisle in November, to my son who's a sophomore in high school who goes to school here at LCA. So this topic isn't something I'm interested in just for myself. This is something my family has walked through as my children have gotten to dating in marriage ages. Um, a significant portion of the people in this church, as I, as I look out, are under age 18. And those of you over 18, like me, uh, are fathers and mothers and grandfathers and grandmothers. Um, and, and you may not think that this message is for you, but it is. Uh, I, in fact, I came to realize this week as I was preparing this message um, that, that this message may be more for me at age 47 and married 25 years than it is for anyone else and for my children, all those that are unmarried. But 2 Corinthians 6, 14-15, Paul writes this, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Baal? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? When Rob gave me this topic of biblical marriage, he gave us the main point of choose wisely. Who you marry will determine the course of your life. 
It was, at, it was based on this scripture. Now, Paul gives us the, the, uh, the analogy of a farmer uh, driving a team of oxen equally yoked. Uh, if you know anything about farming, or, which I don't, but I've studied it, is that the team of oxen have to pull together. All right? if, one ox, if one is not pulling and, and one is doing more than the other, they're just going to go in a circle and get nowhere. Um, if one is fighting uh, the other, they're trying to go in different directions, they're not going to get anywhere. Uh, or, or if one is, is, is uh, it, uh, the, the team of oxen is under control, under, under the leadership of the farmer behind them, if one of them is fighting the farmer, then it's not going to work out very well. Marriage needs to be two people pulling in the same direction under leadership of the farmer, which is God. And many of us skip the step. But this is the key point. Do not be unequally yoked. And, and most of the, many of us realize the person we're dating or the person we're engaged to or whatever is not, uh, you're not equally yoked with them. And we come up with the most amazing excuses of why uh, of why this is happening, how we can make it better, how we can get over it to explain it away. As a pastor, I've heard and seen them all. But you realize that, as you, that you aren't equally yoked, you aren't pulling the same direction, uh, one of you is resistant to the farmer, and then you make the biggest mistake of all. Here's the problem, is that we think marriage will change someone. That's the problem, is that we think that marriage will change someone. One, we, I've heard it so many times. Once we're married, we'll fix that, whatever that is. Well, here's a news flash. Parents, or, or those, those of you that are dating right now, listen to me. Parents, teach this to your children. Grandparents, teach this thing to your grandchildren. When dating, news flash. Dating, you, people are on their best behavior. Okay, you are not getting a real version. You are getting the idealized version of the person when you're dating. All right, they are putting on, they aren't putting on the real self. Uh, and so, if the best version, the, the the best foot forward that you're seeing needs help, needs fixing, what is going to happen when you get to the real version? Many times, this this realization that you're not equally yoked. And that you're not getting the real version. People realize that. They do a very foolish thing. They say, well, we're going to live together. And we're going to figure out if we're compatible. Then I'll know the real person. Well, if that were true, then with the almost universal acceptance of living together before marriage, you would think that the divorce rate would be plummeting because as more and more people live together before marriage and they find, they see the true self, right? You'd think the divorce rates would be plummeting, but the exact opposite is happening. Uh, the opposite, and in fact, people who live together before marriage divorce at twice the rate that people who don't live together before marriage. Don't think that you'll succeed in God's territory of marriage by doing things contrary to His will. So, what I, what I, I in dating, you need to see the real person when you're searching. For a godly spouse, you need to see the person in a real situation. Ladies, you need to see him in the car at, on, at 5 o'clock on Nicholsville Road. You, you, the real person will come out. Guys, you need to see her at the dinner table with her mother and father and see how she speaks to them. Does she, is she rude? Is she insolent? Is she disrespectful to her parents and everything? Preview of coming attractions. 
Right? You need to see them outside the ideal date. You need to see them outside the well-dressed, made-up person uh, going to a restaurant that you know you can't afford with him bringing you flowers that you know you'll never see again. Okay? That's why God says, and, and I have to say this, and I understand how, how offensive this is to some people, but this is why God says that sex is designed for marriage only. It's not because he's some kind of cosmic killjoy. It's because he understands the power of the physical relationship. This is what happens, and I've seen it so many times as a pastor and as a married man. I, th- what happens when you get involved physically with someone, sex is a smokescreen. It's like putting blinders up, and because you enjoy the physicality of it, you are able to overlook glaring problems in the person you're dating that everyone else is seeing but you don't see because the the physicality of your relationship has blinded you and I've sat with men and women going through terrible marital problems and they all say the same thing when they come into my office they're broken they're they're maybe on their way to divorce the divorce court and they all say the same thing as soon as we got married he changed as soon as we we got married she changed well that may be true but what's more likely what happened was that when the, the physical allure of the relationship wore off and you, you saw the person, the things you overlooked or the things you explained away, the person probably didn't change. You're just finding out what everybody else knew, that they're dishonest or volatile or dramatic, terrible with money, etc. So... That's why it's so important to do things God's way when searching for a godly spouse when doing biblical marriage. And so uh, I have five things for the guys and five things for the ladies to look for when, when looking for a person to marry. And if, and if you're already married, that's fine. These are for you too, okay? I found that I never stop having to be the person my wife would choose if she were single. And my wife never stops being the person that I would choose if I were single. So here, we're going to start with the ladies. Ladies, what to look for in a husband. First thing, a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Second Peter 3.18 says this, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory now and forever. Amen. When my daughters reached dating and married, married age, I told them this. I, say, I said, look for a man who loves Jesus more than he loves you. That's my one thing as a father I want to pass on to you. Look for a man who loves Jesus more than he loves you. Look for a man who will challenge you in your faith, who will be the example for your future children and my future grandchildren. Now, ladies, that doesn't, uh, uh, that doesn't mean that he's got it all figured out. But what that means is do not take a man on as a spiritual project. Dating is not the time to lead someone to Christ. In in youth ministry, we call that missionary dating. No missionary dating. A dating relationship has too many dynamics for you to be a good influence on the person. Do not take a man on as a spiritual project. Remember in dating, he's putting his best foot forward. What you see in dating is the idealized. Thing. I've seen so many women look at, their, look at this guy they're dating and they, they see the idealized version, what he could be. If I marry him, I can make him into this. No, you can't. Heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak should show us the folly of that. 
Like I said, he doesn't have to have it all figured out. He doesn't have to have a degree in theology. He doesn't have to be perfect, but he has to be growing. It can't be, ladies, it can't be, well, I was baptized at 13 at church camp, and, or, or the vague, well, I'm a pretty spiritual person. It can't be that. That's not someone who's growing. A real man, ladies, should not leave it to you to lead the family in prayer. A real man shouldn't leave it to you to pray together before dates. Uh, when you're, when you're for meals on dates. He should not leave it to you as to whether you're going to church that morning. Uh, he should not leave it to you to disciple the faith in your future children. I've prayed with so many women that have made this mistake of missionary dating, of, of, of trying to take on a man as a spiritual project, saying, I thought I could change him, I thought I could save him. And I want to tell you this to all you ladies that are dating a, a non-Christian man right now. My apologies if this is offensive. But I'm going to tell you right now, this is what I tell people. I say you can either cry now or you can cry later. You can cry now when you lose him or you can cry later when you have him. Don't settle for anything less than a godly man. The second thing, ladies, a man of obvious integrity. Proverbs 10:19 says this, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. When I, when I was in youth ministry about 15 years ago, uh, one of the moms of one of my students came to me concerned about her son. Uh, there was turmoil in the family, absolute, utter chaos. Uh, her husband had just left her for a younger woman, and uh, about half her age, and she was devastated. And as we talked, uh, and I, I learned a little bit more about the relationship, I found that, I asked how they met, and I found out that they met when her husband had left his first wife for her. Okay? He left his first wife for a younger woman, which was her, and she was astounded that he did it again to her. If the man you're dating, ladies, lies easily, or is dishonest with customers or clients, cannot be trusted with money, it's probably time to leave. He's not a man of obvious integrity. When I was in college, uh, I was asked to be a groomsman for one of my fraternity brothers. And uh, it, was a, it was a neat thing, great couple. I, I knew them, I knew him, I knew her. This seemed like a great couple. And so I drove down to Tennessee expecting a fantastic time at this wedding. We had the rehearsal, and, and I, I was the only uh, rehearsal dinner, uh, and I was the only one under 21, and I, I, I neglected uh, to, to purchase or obtain a fake ID, so everybody else was going out to bars. So I just went back to my aunt and uncle's house and stayed there. Well, the next day, I found out that the other groomsmen had hired strippers and that the groom, my friend, had had sex with one of them the night before his wedding. They said it was his last fling before settling down and growing up. It was difficult to stand there and watch him commit his life to this woman who was unaware. I didn't stay for the reception. I, I immediately left. I was so disgusted. Immediately left and drove back home. It wasn't a year later I received word that they were getting a divorce because he had amazingly committed adultery on her. Ladies, you want to marry a man of obvious integrity. Remember, you're getting the best version. Remember, the best version of my friend from Tennessee. His best version was cheating. I can't imagine what he was like as a husband. Don't settle for a man who's duplicitous, 
day to marry a man who is honest to a fault, and whose word you can fully trust, whose word you can take to the bank, who, who is where he says he's going to be, who does what he says he's going to do, uh, month after month, year after year. And I can hear every lady, I can hear your thoughts right now. Every lady in here, I can hear you. I know exactly what you're thinking. That man doesn't exist, right? That's exactly what you all are thinking right now. There's no man out there like that. Well, yes, there are. They've always been around. But many times, they aren't the ones that grab headlines or get voted most athletic or elected class president, but they're out there. The CEO of one of the, most, uh, of one of the biggest dating sites uh, found something amazing. He and his team ranked hundreds if not thousands of men on several criteria from least to greatest, all right, and uh, using several criteria. And he asked the women on the app to rate them. And he found out something amazing, that the men that came in right at the 50th percentile, get this, the ladies rated at, at the 15th percentile. Uh, only about 12% of the men the ladies said were above average. The studies showed that many women had unrealistic expectations of men. And they were de 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 definitely valuing the wrong things. These were men of these, there are men of obvious integrity out there. You may be looking at the wrong things, ladies. And every man out there is responsible for his own integrity. I have to say this before I go any further. Uh, uh, but there would probably be a lot more men of integrity if the ladies insisted on it. If women would refuse to date men that have no character, they would probably see more men with character. But when men are rewarded for having no integrity, we shouldn't be surprised when we see more men without integrity. I just had to say that. Number three, ladies, a man who's able to make decisions. You want a man who's able to make decisions. First Kings 18 through 21, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. A godly man is not indecisive, ladies. He, he doesn't need to call his mother to see where you all should go to, out to eat that night. All right, That doesn't mean he doesn't ask for advice. It's just that he's not a waffler. And I've seen this especially in, in some of the young men that my daughters dated in high school. They just kind of figured as long as they, they, they would date this girl and just, yeah, you know, whatever she wanted. We'll go wherever you want. We'll do whatever you want. We'll just, I'll, I'll just kind of go along. And they become almost a barnacle on the relationship instead of a co-worker in the relationship together. A passive, indecisive man will delegate all the difficult decisions to you. And you don't want that, ladies. You need to find a man who's not financially tied to his parents. Right? I was doing pre-marriage counseling for a couple, and we were discussing finances. And, and the guy told me, upon asking, that his mom, remember this is a couple getting married, his mother paid his car payment, paid his cell phone bill, paid health insurance, and all these kinds of things. And as I heard this, I started to cringe, and I looked at the bride-to-be, and I said, how are things with the future mother-in-law? And she stared daggers through me. It, things were awful because the mother, because of financial ties, was using that to influence the relationship. It was very toxic and very awful, okay? Well, you need to have a man who can make decisions who is not dependent on, on, other, uh, on outside uh, forces, okay? You need a man who is decisive. Number four, ladies, 
a man who is able to love sacrificially. This is huge. If you hear nothing else I hear, I say today, hear this. Ephesians 5, 25-26 says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word. So let's just ask, how did Christ love the church? Very, did, did he demand his own way? Did he, did he push? Was he, was he pushy and pushing about, bossing her about rudely and pouting and whining and complaining when he didn't get his way? Is that how Christ loved the church? Absolutely not. He loved the church by, by giving himself up for her. By, and, and look what Paul says here. It says that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her what? Holy cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word. Ladies, the man you date and marry should make you holy, should push you towards holiness. The, the man you date and marry should be, should be making you pure, just like, the Christ, like Christ made the church. All right, ladies, please understand this. If the man you are dating is pressuring you to do things that you do not believe to be right, if he's pressuring you sexually, it is time to say go. It's time to say it's over because that's not how Christ loved the church. Okay, ladies, your eternity, your relationship with Jesus Christ should be the number one concern that the man that you date and marry has. Your relationship with Jesus, your eternity, should be of such utmost importance to him that if if it, it's either him or Jesus, he will back away and say, "Take Jesus because I'm a hindrance." Okay? Your faith in Christ should be his number one concern. Our culture doesn't understand this. We live in a culture where it says, my needs, my wants, my desires are the utmost importance, and the biggest problem I can encounter is when those things aren't met immediately. That's not how the church teaches, and that's not what Jesus wants. So I want to ask the men in here, how many of us this week, this month, have done something for the women in our lives that would be truly sacrificial? How many of us have encouraged our wives or our girlfriends' faith in God? How many of us, the way that we love the women in our lives, how many of, that, how, how many of us can truly say that we have moved our, 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 our girlfriends or our wives towards purity, towards holiness in a sacrificial way? The last one, ladies, a man who's able to laugh. Doesn't mean he's a comedian. Doesn't mean he's even funny or the class clown. It may be that the funniest thing about him is that he's not funny. Maybe he's terrible at telling jokes. Maybe he always misses the punchline, okay? Maybe that's the funniest thing about him, okay? Uh, it, it's important to be able to laugh. See, that this is what guys like me deal with. I'm not funny. I would love to be funny, but I'm not. And every time I tell a joke, my wife cringes, especially like in a sermon. You know, I, 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 she, I, I start setting up the joke she knows is coming. I see her just. And then as it gets closer to the punchline, she does the. Because she knows all I'm going to get is crickets. See, I've already told 10 jokes in the sermon. Y'all have the last once. I mean, that's just the way it is. I'm not funny. I understand that. But here's the thing. If you, it doesn't mean he has to be the class clown. But a man that cannot laugh at himself. 
A man who cannot say, hey, you guys, listen to this. Listen to how I completely embarrassed myself this last week. And, and, and laugh at himself. Be careful, ladies, because a person, a man that takes himself too seriously and cannot laugh at himself has major security issues. And, those, and, and he is, is probably consumed with pride and insecurity, and that will come out in the wrong way. And the man needs to be able to laugh, especially at himself. Those five things, ladies. Now let's go to the guys. Things to look for in a godly, in a, in a, in a godly wife. Number one, same as, as, as the last one, a personal faith and trust in Lord Jesus. The Bible tells us not to be unequally yoked, and that is so very true. Okay? We, do not, uh, we, we do not want to be fighting our spouse on the spiritual things. Um, if she is not involved in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, you will not be able to communicate on the most intimate, fundamental level, which is your faith. If you disagree on the things that are of fundamental importance to a Christian, then you will ne- your marriage will never be what it needs to be. Okay, the second thing is this. A woman whose beauty is more than skin deep. More than skin deep. 1 Peter 3, 3-4 says this. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, this, this um, scripture has been misconstrued to say that women shouldn't wear jewelry or braid their hair. That's not what it's saying. It's just saying that's not where your beauty should come from. That's not what should be the most attractive thing about you, ladies. Okay? I don't know of anyone who sets out to find a spouse they're not physically attracted to. I don't know anyone who does that. But Proverbs 30, 31, 30 says this, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Men, let's desire a woman whose beauty comes from more, more looking into the Word of God than into a mirror. I was a sophomore in college, uh, 19, 20 years old. When a speaker came to college, and, uh, and he was talking about a lot of things, but he looked at all of us college people and said, college people, this right now is the best you will ever look. He said, this is the best, you are at the pinnacle of how you look. He goes, here's the truth, college people, one day you're going to look like your parents. And the collective gasp from that room, and the, oh, as all of us realized that at some point, we were going to look like our parents. Well, of course we're going to. We got their DNA. We're going to look like our parents. And if that is not a, a, an attractive uh, precept for you, realize, realize that beauty and looks are a sinking ship. You get worse looking as you get older. That's just the way it is. It's the way, it's the way life is. And so if your attraction to someone is based on something that's fading, it's like investing in a stock that's guaranteed to go down. Okay? I would rather men chase after the beauty of a woman who fears the Lord. I would rather a woman's beauty come from the, what Paul identifies as fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
That's where your beauty should come from. So men, are the women that you're dating, married to, do they have fruit of the Spirit? Are they joyful? Are they self-controlled? Are they kind? Are they faithful? Those are the things that God says is of great value in God's sight, and that is where your beauty should come from. When, when Rachel, my wife, and I met, we were hardly more than kids. We were 19 years old. I'd just turned 19. I'd never seen a more beautiful woman in all of my life. We are, I was at a cookout about three weeks before my wedding, our wedding. And uh, I was over at, my, my, over at her house, over at her parents' house. And, and Ra- Rachel's niece and nephew were there, and she was out in the yard playing with them, laughing and, and, and chasing each other and, and playing roughhouse and, and everything. And, and my, my future father-in-law, her dad, and I were sitting there watching. And he, after watching his daughter play with his grandchildren, he just said, and I'll never forget it, he said, what a beautiful woman, both inside and out. Then he looked at me and said, the inside is the prize. The outside is just the bonus. And totally unrelated, fathers, that's what our daughters need to hear from us too. Okay. But I will never forget that. What a beautiful woman, inside and out. The inside is the prize. And the outside is just the bonus. Third thing that we need to look for, men, is a woman who is an initiative taker who can live sacrificially. Proverbs 31 is the, is the guideline, the, the, the vision for a godly woman. Proverbs 31 15 through 17, says this about the godly woman. She gets up while it's still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for the tasks. This is a hardworking woman that the Bible is describing. Is a woman who takes initiative. She gets up before night. She doesn't need to be told to wake up. She doesn't need to be told what to do. She gets up before everyone else, and she starts working. She starts providing. See, much of the things that, a, that women do in marriage, and men too, uh, as, as both wife and mother, uh, require sacrifice. There's no two ways about it. Um, women, on the average, do a better job of putting the needs of others in front of their own, sometimes to a fault. Um, here, let me let you into a secret, ladies. Many times us men would love for you to stop and take care of yourself, okay? Because you run yourselves ragged and, then we, and, and it's bad for everyone. We would love for you to stop. Maybe be a little more selfish. Take care of yourself. We'll be okay. We don't need X, Y, and Z done for us. We're okay. We would love for you to stop and take care of yourselves. But I've seen women sacrifice their health, their, their joy, everything to take care of other people. And, and it can be carried too far right? Just remember that. Um, But one of the most sacrificial people I've ever known was my grandmother. Um, Two years ago, I was shocked, like most parents were, parents especially daughters, um, when Cardi B's uh, song uh, WAP came out. If you have never heard that song, please do not listen to it. It is awful. It's terrible. Um, But it was the number one song in America. And it was basically Cardi B talking about what was attractive about her. And it wasn't the gentle beauty of, 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 that described in the Bible. And I, I, I listened to that, and I, I went back to 
my grandmother. Uh, my, my grandparents were married 51 years. The last several years of, of their marriage, my grandfather had Parkinson's disease and dementia. And uh, this once, uh, this baby boomer, uh, I mean, baby builder, World War II veteran, uh, uh, very strong, uh, gentleman, uh, was reduced to 70 pounds uh, wearing a diaper. It was so hard. And a lot of you all have had that in your family. You understand the dementia and everything. Well, my grandmother decided to keep him at home. And, uh, and while she was providing full-time care for my grandfather, her health declined. Uh, she was having lung problems. She was not getting sleep. She was losing weight. And my, my dad and his two sisters one time confronted her in front of me um, uh, about this, saying, Mom, we are concerned about your health. Uh, we, please g- get some help or send him to a nursing home because we are afraid you are going to die. Now, I was engaged. This was about uh, eight or nine months before my own marriage. And I'll never forget my grandmother pulling herself up to her full five-foot-two height and uh, mustering all of her Scotch-Irish heritage. And she put her finger in her children's face and said, when I said, for better, for worse. When I said, in sickness and in health. When I said those things, I meant it. This man is the father of my children. This man is the love of my life, and I am going to take care of him. And, and she said, and if there are no further objections, children, the matter is settled. And I remember what, a, what an amazing witness that was for me as a young man about to start my own family of what that looked like about eight months later. When my grandfather died, passed into eternity, he did it with his wife holding his hand. She was the love of his life, and he was hers. And I remember thinking about that in light of Cardi B's WAP. Thinking, this what my grandparents had, that was real. That was what made sense. This this pornographic song talking about what was so great about her was was completely fake the people that are telling our young people and telling us what love and what relationships are are the worst at it hollywood uh celebrities they've been married 10 times each and they are the ones telling us what love is if we take cues from them about what love and what relationships are. That's like listening to a man who's $200,000 in credit card debt taking financial advice from him. They're the worst on the planet at it, and yet that's who we listen to. But I looked at my grandparents, especially my grandmother, and someone who was able to live sacrificially was the person that had the most influence on me. Man, if the woman, woman you're dating is not able to take initiative, if she needs someone to always tell her, what to do? She needs to call her mother to find out what kind of shirt to buy. If she's not able to live sacrificially, you're in for rough times ahead. Women who live sacrificially, though, men, are going to be increasingly hard to find in the years to come, I believe, because this culture has shouted to women that that, uh, to, to, to put themselves first. This culture devalues the beautiful role of wife and mother. Seems to think that a woman who lives for herself and does whatever she wants to do, wherever she wants to do, is more satisfying than a woman who spends her life being the primary influencer of the next generation. 
uh, seems to think this culture thinks that a selfish woman spends her time indulging self, leads a life more satisfying than a woman who can look across the room during Christmas or Thanksgiving and see the family that she and her husband brought into the, room, brought into the world. Seems to think that the definition of a happy woman is one who braves the world alone, needing nobody rather than a woman who has a committed husband by her side and who reaps the rewards and benefits of all the hard work she's, she's sown, sown into child raising, seeing her children turn out to be people who love the Lord and value family. As a father to daughters and a husband to my wife, the women in my life, I love them. I'm grieved over what this culture has told them to do and what, told them to do and what to be. How it's so devalued the things that I see as a man has done the most to fulfill women. How it's so mocked and ridiculed self-sacrifice, motherhood, and marriage. And I, I began, as I was preparing for this sermon, I began thinking about the women that were influential on me, the ones whose names I remember. The ones that, that left a great mark on me and, and were influential in making me into the man that I am. Think about people like my grandmothers, my mother, my wife, my teachers uh, in, in school, all of whom had an amazing role. And I've respected them because they were initiative takers that were able to live sacrificially. They didn't force their way to the front. They didn't demand the attention. They didn't, they, they didn't launch off to their own selfish thing. They, 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 they live sacrificially. And I am better for them being in my life. They were a blessing to me and to others who came, they came into contact with. And people were better off for having encountered them. So I guess my question Men, is, is the woman that you are dating, is, is the woman that, you are, that you, you are married to, are they capable of living sacrificially and taking initiative? Because that is what, that, that's what we need. And women, are you capable of living sacrificially? Because that's the ideal. That's what God wants. Number four, and this is huge. This is huge. Number four, a woman who builds her husband's confidence. Proverbs 31, 10 through 12, a wife of noble character, who can find? She's worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. So I want to ask the ladies in here right now, if you're married, if you're dating, is the man that you are married to, the, the, the man that you are dating, are they better off with you in their lives? Are they better? It doesn't devalue, rather elevates women to think that God has gifted them with such a bigger capacity for kindness. We think about it, the women who have shaped our lives, both men and women, who have shaped our lives, have been influential, have done so because of their kindness and their compassion, not their rudeness. In our society's quest to produce effeminate men and masculine women, we've lost this. To the men out there, I want to ask you, do the, men, the ladies that you are dating, do they tear you down? Um, uh, does she mock you in front of her friends or in front of yours? Uh, does she highlight your faults in the presence of company, uh, trying to make you look as ridiculous as possible? Not in a fun, kidding way, but in order to make you look bad. Does she spend time reminding you of your faults, your failures, highlighting everything wrong, how you mess that up, how you mess this up? This is just like the time when. I have only one word for you. Run. If she does this when you're dating, she'll continue when you're married. Instead, the women you're dating should make you feel like a man who has what it takes. Society doesn't allow us men to say this, but we need 
the support of our wives. We need the support of our, of, of our girlfriends. Society won't allow us to say that because we're supposed to be strong and independent, but it's true. We need, we need you. We need uh, your support. We, what a word from you can make or break us. We do need the support of our wives. We the women that we travel life with to believe in us. And if, men, if you are dating a woman that does not build your confidence, you need to run. Okay? And the fifth is this. Same as, same as with the guys. A woman with a sense of humor. You need to be able to laugh together. Everyone in here is going to face terrible times in their marriage or their dating relationship. Everyone is. And the ability to laugh your way through things will get you through so many things. Uh, in 2004, my wife and I experienced the devastating loss of our child. We, we, we buried our third child. And through all of that process, we looked for things to make us laugh and to help us laugh. And, we, and laughter allowed us to handle a lot of the grief, and we laughed together. It's not always just that. Laughing together builds intimacy. I, I remember one time I was sitting in my office at church, and I found this really funny video. I should have been doing Bible study, but I was on YouTube looking at videos. And I found this video of people that couldn't park cars, like the worst drivers. And it was hysterically funny. And I called up my wife, who was at home, and I said, you've got to check out this video. Watch this. And so she was sitting at the computer, and she pulled it up. And I heard the music start. And then I heard her chuckle. Then I heard her chuckle again. Then I heard her laugh and then I heard her laugh some more, and I just sat back and said the beautiful sound of my wife's laughter through the phone was amazing. And then as she laughed, I started laughing. I wasn't even watching. I was just laughing at her, and she heard me laugh, and she laughed some more. And then I started laughing some more, and then the video ended, and re- my wife and I sat there on the phone and laughed for like five minutes because I was laughing at her, and she was laughing at me, and we just laughed together for like five straight minutes. It was awesome. Okay, that's the kind of relationship you go, okay, that's goals. Laugh together, okay? Seriously, to the dating couples out there, how much do you laugh? Do you laugh together? You need to, because that's part of it. To the married couples out there, how often do you laugh? This world is so full of funny things. There is so much to laugh at out there that God has blessed us with. We need to make sure we're doing that because that is essential to a godly relationship. I'm going to invite the band to come on back up. And this, this sermon, you may be thinking, okay, the person you described doesn't exist. I, I, I've been single or I'm in a loveless marriage. Um, I, th- that what you just described doesn't exist. That's a pipe dream. Well, I want to tell you that it's not a pipe dream. These people are out there. One thing I've found is that it's not just important to find the right person. The first step is to be the right person. I can't tell you how many people I have counseled or I've talked to that, well, if I can just find the right person, everything will work out. And I, I want to tell them, you may find the right person, and they may be right for you, but are you right for them? I believe this, that God a lot of times stops us from finding the right person, not because they're not ready, but because you're not ready. I wonder how many of you all are the right person, 
and the right person is out there, but they're not ready yet. God is still building their character. Okay, so if we want to find the right person, first of all, we have to be the right person. Take that list. Take those five things and look into them as a mirror and say, is this me? To the men, are you this thing? That, that, uh, are, are you these five things? To the women, are you these five things? Because this is what I believe, that if God has someone out there for you, as soon as you are the right person for them, he will bring you together. I believe that. But we have to get our own house in order. The problem with humanity is that we want to rush it. We want to, we, we want to help God out. And so we marry the wrong person. We date the wrong person. Well, I want to tell you this. It's tough being single. And there's only one thing worse than the loneliness of being single. And that's being married to the wrong person. It is awful. The main issue that we need to understand is that we need to be equally yoked, pulling in the same direction, taking the same directions from the farmer, and working together to build a godly home. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, as, uh, as we uh, commit this, probably the greatest, the, the greatest decision, the biggest decision other than following you, is who we will travel life with in marriage. And Lord, I want to pray for the people here. I wanna, first of all, I want to pray for the single people. I want to pray that, Lord, you would, you would make them into the people you want them to be and, and at the right time to bring a godly spouse to them, that they can build a, a, a godly home, they can have godly children, and they can live in the blessings that you have for the home. Uh, second, I want to pray for the married couples in here, that, Lord, uh, a lot of us married men, a lot of us married women fall short, and, uh, and our spouses are, 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 are suffering because of it. I pray that you would, uh, you would turn us into the people that our spouses need us to be, that you want us to be. And Lord, that you would bless each and every household here. Lord, we love you, and we commit this amazing decision to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand.